Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Hello, dear ones. I wanted to give a special shout out to our Patreon members today for their support of Blink of an Eye. Yes, for $5 a month, you'll get early access to our episodes as well as other perks. Stay tuned for a few full THL Trauma Healing Learning interviews dropped on our Patreon as well as over the next few months. Thank you to our dedicated Patreon members. We appreciate you. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 4. The feeling of home. Things were pleasingly yet eerily quiet at the Shepherd Center as we start today's episode. I welcomed the quiet of this Labor Day weekend. I looked around at the hospital room in Atlanta. This new strange place was as disorienting as it was welcoming. It's strange to me how such opposite experience can exist side by side. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's not that they cancel each other out either. As I felt the relief in my mind and the comfort of that relief. But I also noticed how my body was still on hyper alert. I think it fair to say that Archer and I were both feeling lonely away from home. Although neither of us spoke of it to the other. Well, you know what I mean. The quiet was actually restful, but it also seemed to amplify the loneliness. There it is again, these extreme feelings are so opposite, but coexisting all at once. I closed my eyes and thought about home, the feeling of home. I remember it so clearly. Maybe you can do the same right now. Feel the ease, a favorite room or spot in your home or a tradition, just a feeling of home. I think if we have that feeling of home, that we can carry that feeling with us wherever we are. And if we're lucky enough, in our bodies. And we can access it again and again when we need it. I close my eyes to try to locate that feeling. The same feeling I so wanted Archer to feel too. 
because I knew it was restorative. And I had an idea. I had to figure out a way to bring the children and Billy to Atlanta regularly. And Archer's friends. Yes, I thought bringing Archer's friends to us might recreate the feeling of home and the familiarity of what we would have had had we been at home. There is just something comforting about home, you know? And home felt far away all of a sudden. So take in a deep breath as we settle in together on this quiet day in the story, which gave moments for pondering. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 4, The Feeling of Home. Here we go. Life can change in the blink of an eye. September 7th, 2015, Day 34, Day 5, at Shepherd. Monday. Friends and family update. I hope you will have a wonderful Labor Day weekend as Archer and I feel the quietude of the unit today and welcome the reprieve related to it being a holiday weekend. It's a little sad for me as this weekend is always a special one for our whole family that no matter who is going where or doing what, everyone comes to Cape May for Labor Day. (laughs) It's where we take our annual Christmas card photo somewhere on the beach. But that picture will just have to wait this year. None of our children went to Cape May this weekend. Of course, nor did we. They're all scattered. That makes me sad, but the last month has been trying for everyone. Archer seems very melancholic today. I'm concerned. I'm watching him closely. Archer is also in a lot of pain. We're having some trouble managing it, having tried a lot of things. They all work but he remains in a steady four or five on a scale of 10, even with medication, even with morphine. One surgeon who visited said it was like feeling a knife just cut your back or your throat. Oh my God, I could feel wobbly again for him. The ENT surgeon also visited tonight He wants to do the sinus surgery tomorrow or Wednesday. Should be done soon, he said. And this is what he showed me on the CAT scan. A lot of pus. A whole lot. We don't want any brain abscess or meningitis. Okay, got the picture. Another big effort. Yes, a little scary. Yes, temperature is on the rise to 101. And yes, we need your prayers for the surgeon's hands to have angels guide his fingers skillfully 
as they perform the delicate surgery in the next day or so. When will this end? Earlier today, I saw Archer's cheeks quiver. I went to him and asked if he were okay. I could tell he was not. Wetness then began at the corners of his eyes. I've been waiting for this moment, wondering if it would ever come, wondering if we ever wanted it to come. I tried to hold him with all the tubes and leads all over him and the three wands close to his mouth for survival. He was in his wheelchair, tilted back. He mouthed through the tears he was trying to choke back and looked at me almost desperately. It is so hard. I said, yes, my darling, it is so hard. And I asked gently, are you sad? He nodded, yes. I said, I know, I am so sad too. And we both began to cry and cry together. And I know I broke my cardinal rule to not cry in front of Archer as I don't want him to lose hope. But I did. But just for a moment, I told Archer, it's okay to cry and it's good. And he did a bit more. I told him, God does not want him to suffer. We don't want him to suffer. But all the emotions, God gives them to us, and it's okay to experience them all. He mouthed, I am so sad. And I said, Yes, yes, I am sure you are so sad. And I said, I love you so much. He nodded. I said, Dad loves you so much. He nodded. I said, we are all going to be here to support you, whatever the future holds. He nodded and began to cry a little more. I said, your brothers and sister love you so much. He nodded. They will always be here for you. He nodded. 
and your friends love you so much. Pause. They will always be here for you too. He didn't nod. I said, Archer, you will have new friends and you will have the old as well. The ones who love you will always be there. And there will be some who are not there. But that's okay. Because there will be new ones who love you. And many old ones who will. He looked contorted in pain and sadness. He mouthed again. It's just hard. I asked, What is it, darling, that is most hard? He bowed, breathing, as he winced. He then mouthed, pain. And then he mouthed, not knowing. Please pray for Archer that his searing pain in his neck and shoulders will abate and that he will be sustained in the not knowing and will not lose hope. Amen. Not knowing. When Archer said that, I felt the claw of despair pulling on me. I knew the ravages of uncertainty from my mediation clients over the years. I knew how the unknown can be so challenging on our brains, can scramble our thinking, even when we're learning everything we can. And even as we learned more about Archer's injury and spinal cord injury, what they refer to as SCI. There was still so much that was left blank by the medical team because the science on SCI is all over the board and so much is unknown. They said Archer was like a snowflake. There were some common properties, but so much was unknown about his particular injury. There was something almost mystical to me about that analogy, and I wanted to lean in to not knowing, with the hope that things will get better and that miracles happen, right? I mean, the other side of the unknown coin is that there is room for possibilities. I mean, there can be pleasant surprises, even in the events and news that unsettle us. There it was again. That crazy, contradictory parallelism. 
I wanted to think more about that. As the medical team worked to deal with his pain, I had been texting with family friends back in Baltimore about a wide variety of things. Ned Inslee, whom you might recognize from season two, episode 10, Little Breakthroughs, had texted me asking how he could be helpful. I didn't really know him well, but I trusted him that he could help me find ways to support us from Baltimore. I felt that trust solidified because he texted me. He had time in his life to give me. That was the clincher for me. I still hesitate to ask for some help, oftentimes actually, because I didn't want to put anyone out. In some ways, it's prideful, and I know that. And I was beginning to believe it was false pride. But when he said that, I knew right away what I needed. I had been thinking for a couple days now that it would be expensive for Archer's friends to fly to Atlanta and for our family. But I thought that if I asked other friends to consider donating frequent flyer miles, that we might cobble together some plane tickets for our kids and Archer's friends to come. I boldly asked Ned if he could help with that, and he ended up becoming the captain and broker of sorts, using airplane miles donated by community members and even strangers I had never met from across the country who were reading the daily family and friends updates and were moved and generous enough to contribute. It was extraordinary. Here's an excerpt of my interview with Ned Inslee, frequent flyer coordinator extraordinaire. I am really dying to know how it transpired that you became the commanding officer of the frequent flyer miles <laughs> of many, and you were truly the flight coordinator. The travel concept first started with actually helping raise money for the flight for Archer down to the Shepherd Center. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. The $25,000 doesn't has to go on your credit card, not right. covered by insurance. Right. And I, I don't remember exactly how we got tied into the loop with it, but, but our mutual dear friend David DeMuth and I ended up sort of, I, I think Shepard agreed to pay for a part of it or something. They did. There was a, but it was a significant part, like right. $5,000. Yeah. And then, you know, the rest of it, you all had put on a credit card. And, and so David and I agreed to, or offered to, or maybe we never even told you. No, this to, is coming back. But to, I, but I remember it as being David. Yeah. Moose. Moose. Yeah. So we. I didn't realize it was Moose and Ned. Yeah. So anyway, we, we raised some funds and, and. I guess you and I must have been texting at that point about something, and and you said you you, unlike you, although now you you become very good at it, opened up. You didn't tend to do that as much back then, um, in a text or some way, and said that you 
didn't quite know how the family was going to get back and forth, but it was really important to you and to Billy to be able to be in two places. Um, and you said something, you suggested something, I'm sure, like, you know, maybe I can lean on some old business friends or whatever, people that have extra miles. I completely remember this. Yeah. I completely, and you're right, I, it is not something that I was accustomed to doing. Mm -mm. You hate to ask for help. Right, I do. Yeah. And. I did. Yeah. That would be a better way yeah, to say yeah. that. Yeah, which is, it's great. Um, so. I said that, I think I'm sure I said that I know maybe I know some people that have some miles and, you know, I think we all were operating under the premise that we could just grab a bunch of miles and have them transferred to you and it'd be no big deal. Right. The, the glitch, and this was a big one, was that Southwest wouldn't allow people to transfer miles without it. There's a transfer fee. So it was $10 per thousand miles to be transferred. And every flight was like 20 or 30 or 40,000 miles. And you guys were going to need to fly a couple times a week. So those $10 fees were going to add up. and Almost being the price of a ticket. Exactly. And, and obviously the airlines know that, which is why they do that. Mm -hmm. um, so we, the, the first theory was we, could, we had some connections um, through somebody that's in the fundraising world at Southwest. And we thought, well, we could just get them to waive it. Because, of course, they'd waive it for Archer. And they came back and said, no, no. <laughs> but we do have a program that Shepard's a part of where we have a couple of airline tickets for free. We needed more than a couple. Yes. <laughs> so so it just sort of evolved, Louise. I mean, it just sort of evolved to realizing, well, that, but you can make a reservation for someone else on your account. That's right. And so we learned that. And I thought, well, okay, so that is a way to do this, is, is that when one of you or your kids um, wanted to fly to or from Atlanta, just let me know and I'll find out some people that have miles and I'll just call them and say, hey, can That's you make... That's what was so extraordinary, yeah. Ned, because for me, and I do still have a lot of this in me, it's like, you don't want to burden somebody who's giving you a gift to then have to spend the time to, you know, set it all up for you. I just was like, oh my gosh, no. But you have no idea how gratifying it is to be able to help somebody mm. when you feel helpless. Oh my gosh. Well, we were made for each other <laughs> because I was so, I mean, so... Filled with gratitude and so helpless. Well, and, and you know, I was just a catalyst for all this, right? I mean, there were, I think there were, well, I emailed and, and, and you know, email chains there went out. There were hundreds of thousands. Hundreds and hundreds of people that we reached out to. And, and again, you know, 20 people probably sent emails out to others. And I was just the coordinator and, you know. So people would email me and say, I've got 10,000 miles, and this person would say, I've got 60, and this one would say, I've got five. And so we just maintained a spreadsheet of all these miles and all these people, and you or Billy or one of your kids or your siblings or whatever would, would call me and say, hey, you know, can I get to Atlanta on this day? And I'd look at my spreadsheet, and oh, there's somebody. You know, We can do it with this, these miles and these miles. And, and well, then, let, let's put it in context that when we got to Atlanta, there was a place where people could spend the night. 
It was actually for the family. I had, I was given, I think, 30 days um, as a patient's family. Mm-hmm. We didn't know how long we were going to be there, but I was going to guard and safeguard those days like they were my children. And so I did not take any of them. Mm-hmm. And had I'd also, I would have to sign up on my end for which, uh, which 30 days in the time that we were there. And the time is, you know, elapsing. We didn't know it was going to be as long as it was. But, or in some ways as short as it was, depending on how we look at it on what day. I was signing up because the whole idea was to be able to keep those kids coming to keep Archer spirits up. So every weekend, we tried to have a family, a, a family member, right. and at least one, and of course they came in pairs, and yep. sometimes in you know, triplets and yep. Yep. quadruples and so forth, coming down. And that's what Ned was coordinating. Yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, again, just so gratifying to all the people who donated miles. Oh my God. I mean, they were coming out of the woodwork for these. I mean, I'd get random emails, people I'd never even heard of, saying, Hey, I hear you're coordinating miles for the Sens to get to Atlanta. I've got, you know, this, and I've got this, or I can't do that, but I've got Delta miles. Can you use that? I mean, people were so generous. It was overwhelming, the generosity that that I saw on your and Archer and your family's behalf. It really was. I think we had something like, all tallied up, something like nine hundred thousand miles oh available to use for your family and, and friends. It's <laughs> incredible. It, people were so generous. They were so generous. It, it was amazing and, and heartwarming. every weekend, that heartwarming experience happened. Yeah. Because we had some weekends where there were four kids, some a few weekends where there were six, mm-hmm. and many weekends where there were two or three. Right. And then all the coordination with their parents, or in, in the case of a of one group, of grandparents who mm-hmm. actually were, were down there. That was, that was Jefferson Riley. That was Jefferson Riley Price. It was. It was. It was. Um, it was extraordinary. Yeah. And what it did, too, was that generosity totally relieved a huge psychic void. You'll hear more from some of these young visitors in later episodes. The gratitude of the village helping us stay connected and to feel like home was coming to us for Archer to see his friends from home and honestly, just to see friends was so important. Friends are so important, aren't they? I think friends Good friends are part of the glue of the human experience that holds us all together. I also think Archer was bracing for the loss of friends. I saw it in his gray eyes and it rocked me to my core. He might not have much, but please, Lord, Don't let this accident take away his friends, too. I realized in that moment that his friends would come and go. 
I mean, we all have friendships from the different chapters of our lives, right? We all do. It's only natural. But they don't have to come and go. I mean, they can come and go geographically, but they can come into our lives and stay. Not just in the physical form, but that connection all the time. Right? Don't you have old friends you haven't seen in years and you pick up right where you left off? Like soul-to-soul connection? Oh, I do. And it's so wonderful. And I love them as much when that happens as I did years ago. But I felt the hot tears welling up in my eyes for Archer. He was so young. He didn't have a lifetime as I did of friends. I knew that geographical proximity mattered a great deal to him, as that is how most friendships are made, together, in person. Please, Lord, open the hearts of Archer's friends and future friends we don't even know to feel that connection to him. He is such a good person. I do not know what this injury will do to him, if he will change, or perhaps he has already forever changed. I just don't know. But I do know. I've watched him so closely. He is not only determined. He is good. He is kind. He is kind to everyone who takes care of him. I was thinking about this as I looked up on this quiet, rather contemplative day. And who should be walking in the door to our ICU room at the Shepherd Center? But Monsignor Dillon, a man I had traveled with on a number of occasions over the years, to France on pilgrimages with the Order of Malta. I felt like I was in a sort of dream. Here is an excerpt interview with Diane Festa, also from Atlanta, another Dane in the Order of Malta, who helped me understand how that happened all these years later. I'm learning through you in this moment, Diane, that it was Loretto Kane in Baltimore, who was the head um, hospitaler of the order in our region. So I knew I know that it was she who who held that position at the time. So I guess that it was she who called. And when you said Monsignor, that would have been Monsignor Dillon. And I had met Monsignor Dillon on a pilgrimage to Lourdes. But I never realized he was from Atlanta. Oh, you didn't know? No, didn't know. no. Yes, he actually was responsible for starting the Knights Vault in Atlanta. And um, yes, and he's a chaplain. He was a chaplain for the for Lord for a long time. And, um, and that was certainly an experience. 
because Malta, I don't know whether you've explained this always, but it is the mission is to serve the sick and the poor. And we go to Lewis and bring us sick in that, correct? Yes, exactly. And to think that then I, you know, it's interesting because when we go to Lourdes, uh, Diane, we, part of the ministry is for us, is for us to really experience uh, the deepest humility, caring for, for the, the sick um, and the dying. And then to find us as a family in Atlanta, experiencing the goodness of the order with you tending to us um was was just an you know it was just an interesting full circle experience so one of the one of the first persons who then came within hours to the ICU at Shepherd who just who wa just walked in our room was Monsignor Dillon and because i i had met him years prior in France and knew he was american you know, with the with the um region with an irish accent with an irish accent a big irish accent <laughs> i had never even thought about where he was from or that he would be from atlanta and when he walked into our hospital room and there he was it was like i, I can't even explain that feeling of of coming home and knowing that we were going to be all right and like oh my Monsignor, I remember Monsignor Dylan, and I said to him, "What are you doing here?" And he said, "My dear, I live here." <laughs> you know, it's what's coming up for me, and also with Monsignor Dylan, that similar when when Monsignor Dylan walked in, I just immediately like threw my like a big hug. And I began to cry and said, will, will you hear my confession? And he, really? yes. And he said, oh my, oh my dear, you know, let, let's go, let's just go for a walk. And so we walked all throughout the Shepherd Center. I'd, we'd only been there, like truly, I don't even think we'd been there an hour. And they were having to still really check out Archer a, a great deal. And we were not even acclimated to our room. Our, I mean, nothing was unpacked. Things were still coming in. We only had a couple bags, but I mean, it was just like we had just arrived. And he and I walked all over the first floor, went down to the basement. We saw the pool that was down there. And I am busy yammering away about how all these things have happened and and, and they don't believe. And I, I believe it please tell me, are you just going to walk? And I think I wasn't very nice to that nurse. And I just want to be a good mom. <laughs> just, you know, just like on and on and on. Even telling you right now, I mean, like an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And, and just even experience it again. And then we went up to this beautiful, uh, maybe it's a second or third floor. And it's sort of like this executive suite there. It's very gorgeous and elegant you know, how you all do in the South. And he and I sat down and I, I said, I'm so sorry. I said, I just want to have my confession. <laughs> Will you just hear my confession? And he says, he leaves over and he takes my hand and he says, oh, my dear, I have been listening to your confession 
everything is forgiven. Oh my God. It was, it was incredible. And that sounds like him, doesn't it? It's just it like, like him. Yeah. Oh, it was just, it was the most amazing confession. And, you know, and, and I'm all, you know, caught up. And I was just thinking about, you know, with, in this circle, you know, we all, we all get caught up. But, you know, as much as so wonderful about him is, you know, people get caught up with all the, the, the Catholic, the, the act of contrition and the this and the that, and the blessing and the holy water. And Monsignor just simplifies that. Just, yes. just cut, he just cut right, right through it all. And you know, what, you know what he said to me? He said, um, I, I wish I could remember it exactly, but I haven't thought about it till just now, but he said, um, I think I think I and my like no no Monsignor. I mean I I know I really need to make a confession. And he said, my dear, um, I have heard your heart. Everything you have said has come from your heart, and God hears your heart. There's nothing more you need to say. A few days passed in the Shepherd Center as if we were all in a whirlwind. The sleepy Sunday and Monday changed and it was like all hell broke loose. Archer had a severe infection that had every possibility of leaking through his sinuses into his brain. The preparations for how to do the surgery, where to do the surgery, and who would do the surgery were all encompassing, giving the many tubes and breathing machines keeping him alive. I wrote to my family and friends in a large chunk, too large to share with you today, but... Here is the first part. The next part will be in the next Blink of an Eye episode. We were also moving out of the fantasy world of thinking the Shepherd Center could manage pain without narcotics. Archer's pain was excruciating. In hospitals, they ask you to rate your pain on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 being unbearable. Archer would rate his with blinks of his eyes, since he still had no ability to speak. I was used to him saying five or six, and I marveled at how tough he was when I could see his body exhibiting tremors and sweat and high blood pressure and his heart so low and his head and neck almost pulsating with physical pain that I thought he would explode on some occasions. You know what he told me years later? That he never let on his full pain on the one to 10 scale. I was blown away. Why? I asked him. And he said, they would just give me more morphine and fentanyl and I wouldn't be able to focus on getting my lungs clear to breathe. It's incredible what I am still learning all these years later. I remembered being very frightened though at this day in our story. Here we go. September 7th, 2015 to September 10th, 2015. Day 34 to 36. Day five through seven 
at Shepherd. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Family and Friends Update. Come to the Shepherd. I should start by telling you that the delicate surgery for Archer's sinuses had been postponed the last two days while they did a bedside scope and explored other bacteria that had come up in the cultures and they wanted some time to look at the various antibiotic responses because they did not recognize some of the strains of bacteria before finalizing the go on surgery. At first they had said, it's better not to have the surgery if we can avoid it, but it's on now. Both cavities near the brain are full of gunk that needs to be removed. One tech asked me in what kind of water Archer had drowned. I said the ocean. He said there are types of bacteria they cannot even identify. Surgery is on Friday, 5 p.m. at Piedmont Hospital. It's next door. As I write in the wee hours of today, I guess that means tomorrow. So to all of Archer's army, armed with prayer and focused intention and gratitude and love, you know what we need tomorrow. Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Storm heaven. God hears you, every single one of you. You are as precious to him as Archer is. I awoke in the dawn this morning with the thought very prominent. Pay close attention to his number. Pay close attention to Archer's number. I knew it was the Holy Spirit guiding me. And I'm not sure what it means, but I will pay attention. Early this morning, when Archer's pulmonologist came in for his round, we discussed Archer's panicky experiences a number of times yesterday, and again this early morning of not being able to breathe and wanting more oxygen. The staff here always now kindly, automatically bump the oxygen up to 100% pure oxygen, temporarily. Once I figured out that's what Archer wanted, whether he really needs it or not, it gives him comfort. It occurs to me, it's also a basic form of empowerment for him too. No matter to me the factual reason or the actual reason. We'll just make sure it happens. Medically, the bump is not necessary because his oxygen saturation rate remains fairly high even throughout the episodes. But the signals in the brain from the body and vice versa tell him you can't breathe. I will rejoice when he no longer desperately gulps for air as the techs work to deep suction the mucus in his respiratory system and he writhes in pain and his body flails. But he is determined and steadfast 
And last night, when the ventilator cap flew off his tracheotomy, and we both awakened to the huge, I am not kidding you, huge wind whoosh, sound and the gurgling of the mucus in the tube, the techs came flying back into our room to help bring order to the situation. I just prayed to Mary and I saw her and I felt her arms around Archer. I knew she was really there. She's always there. And we felt it. And Archer calmed down. Thank you, Lord God, for always being with us. Always in the room. Always there. We just have to call you. These episodes are really ghastly to have to watch Archer writhe and plead the silent, loud scream as he opens his mouth. Ma, Ma, help me. As his eyes seem to leap out of his head, pleading for us to do something. I run to get the respiratory therapist for oxygen. Then they begin the deep suctioning process. It's even more extreme now than it was at Atlantic Care because there's so much gunk down there now. It's grueling to watch our lion-hearted son have these painful suctioning out experiences, which even he asks for, knowing how hard they are. And he has them go down the trach to get the stuff out over and over until it begins to bring up a tinge of blood, which signals no more. Archer works hard in tandem with the respiratory therapist who threads 12 inches of tubing down his trach into his lungs to try to rat out the secretion buildup, which he is not able to expel in the way you or I can with a simple cough or simple throat clearing. Oh, Lord, and prayer warriors, pause now to thank God for the simple ability we have to cough and clear our throats, which Archer doesn't have. Thank you, dear Lord, for that ability that you've given to us so we can experience ease and freedom of breath and movement. Since Archer knows that feeling and will again, he gets panicky when he can't clear something rattling deep in his lungs. And he has the compounded experience of not, not yet being able to do any deep breathing because his diaphragm is not, not yet innervated to give him that capacity. The pulmonologist added a slight bit more pressure, moving the PSV setting from 20 to 25. Archer says it helps. 
that's good. Even with a bit higher temperature to 100 and a bit colder down to 98, yesterday he alternated between chills in need of a thin warmed blanket around his head, shoulders and body temporarily, and then taking everything off once he was warmed at his request. Isn't that awesome? At his request. His temperature is monitored closely and we catch the rise and fall when they are but small butterfly movements, but before they become big swings. And even with the usual wake-ups for meds and the regular three-hour turnings, for which we are so grateful to prevent skin breakdown, Archer had another good night of rest. Yay! And thank you, dear God. That makes three nights in a row with about six hours of sleep. Interrupted, of course but learning how to go back to at least rest, if not sleep. And this is very good. These are true improvements, and I feel it myself. It's only 6.11 a.m., and the day is up and on. I don't want French fried potatoes. Red ripe tomatoes. And we have the Frim Fram on this morning. I want the Frim Fram song. As I said to Archer, we are feeling light and lively today. The biggest issues have been respiratory and ongoing pain management. The lungs are good, but the respiratory system is labored and hard. His number one physical therapy PT goal is to be able to breathe on his own. Regarding his ongoing pain, I am certain that all Archer has done physically and emotionally in the last two days has aided in his sleep, which has helped with pain reduction. What a gift sleep is but we also continue to try different pain combinations. I asked yesterday about acupressure, which has relieved his pain from a seven or eight to a four in minutes. But he reports swinging back to seven in just 15 to 20 minutes. So that did not seem realistic to his medical team to rely on. Actually, not practical, they said. But I asked last night if we could just sleep on it and revisit it tomorrow. I asked about acupuncture and reflexology and other alternatives, all of which modes I have personally received benefit for health and well-being and believe Archer can too for well-being and probably pain management too. Even if, for instance, he has no feeling yet in his feet or hands. Surely the body knows. So before I tell you about the amazing things Archer was doing yesterday despite and through his pain, 
I want to tell you what just happened as I write. It is now 9.12 a.m. and where did the last three hours go? With text, he is now being bathed by loving hands, very open and willing to use the soothing peppermint lotion I gave them for his feet to enliven the skin. Thanks to a Cape May angel and the loofah and skin repair oil I have for all the needle marks and surgical scars. Thanks to my namesake and the other essential oils I know are good for healing, like lavender and jasmine and peppermint for his lungs, rosemary and amethyst. And I have those because they're good for his heart. And for all these treasures from nature used under the watchful eyes of the Blessed Mother, I put a miraculous medallion medal to his bedpost and another I scotch taped to his trait case. I know they are but symbols, but very powerful of the reminder of the majesty of God's love and grace. So this is what just happened. His occupational therapist just left, but came in to show me what she lovingly did to the hand splints she made yesterday that I had noticed were a bit rough around the edges, where the strong scissors had cut the amazing, newfangled, now hardened plastic, but had been wax-like mold around his hands for his hand splints. But they were rough, she came in to show how she had covered those edges with moleskin. God bless her. I gently rubbed the soft edges on Archer's cheeks so he could know that is what will be on his hands. But it's what she then said that is amazing. She says, Don't ask me why, but I woke up at 4.30 a.m. this morning with Archer on my mind. I have an idea for his pain management. It's TENS. You spell it T-E-N-S. I know you will research it. It's a general low-frequency kind of buzzing that we could apply to his body to stimulate and move the pain around. And I also had the idea of dolphin. You understand trigger points, right? You told me all about them. Yes, I said. So what is dolphin? It's a neurostimulator that is a very pinpointed electrical impulse that breaks up the trigger points. We don't do the other things you asked about, but I thought we could do these. Would you be open to either of these? I began with thank you. She turned to Archer and said, Look, I'm thinking overtime on you, buddy. And I said, Thank you for that. And also, thank you for waking up at 4.30 a.m. and listening 
we would say that is the Holy Spirit talking to you. And we are very open and always listening for that. She paused and said, I can believe that. In response to what she was offering, I turned to Archer and said, It doesn't have to be a total replacement of pain meds, but we can widen our methods. And you never know, Arch, especially if it's going to be a little while with this pain. Let's find methods that work, that are not all about narcotics and medications. What do you think? Archer gave one of his thoughtful looks that he does with his lips when he is assenting to something. And I think it had the sentiment of, okay, why not? So I said to our occupational therapist, our OT, well, there you have it. As my witness, let's try it. The phrase, let's try it, felt like something that wasn't ever offered or said at our time at Atlantic Care. I like to think that it might have been because they were not spinal cord injury specialists. I also think much of medicine is routine and suppresses creativity and thoughtfulness. Indeed, might even waste or overlook good ideas that staff probably have all the time. Just the fact that this staff was willing to consider other options buoyed me, and that the OT, even if just one person at the Shepherd Center, was willing to explore other alternatives outside the normal use of narcotics, also quieted my restless mind. And she had wisdom I did not have. Tens. I was all in. You know, I wonder now if that is what was meant by pay attention to the number. Well, what was also very meaningful to me was that we were finding new potential ways to address Archer's pain with OTs and PTs and not just doctors. I always wanted the whole team, equal parts with different talents and perspectives. It's authentic collaboration that's part of integration, I think. Yes, it's integration that is the path to trauma healing. Would the tens or dolphin work? Only time would tell. But I was willing. And now Archer was too. And Archer mouthed to me that he 
would do anything to breathe on his own and go home. Maybe you might look around you at the different people in your life with different perspectives who might bring new insights to you too. You'll hear in the next episode the rest of this day of the story, which featured some big gains for Archer, which might be of interest to you regarding pain management. And you'll hear from another surprise gift person in my life, Chris Killebrew, an old college friend from UVA days and his extraordinary generosity. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love, hope for everything, obtain everything. Love heals trauma. Thank you for tuning in to the Blink of an Eye story. You may continue listening next Wednesday to the trauma healing learning that accompanies this story at Trauma Healing Learning 4, Being Human with Dr. Daniel Gottlieb. Thank you for listening and telling your friends about Blink of an Eye. Don't forget to subscribe and follow. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Blink of an Eye Podcast is sponsored by I See That the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy, and Transformation, a nonprofit created as a national resource to help change the way we respond to spinal cord injury, to include trauma healing approaches for families and medical teams across the U.S. I See That provides a national team of SCI specialized doctors for expert opinions in the first hours of crisis, a multidisciplinary family support and navigation team for SCI families led by SCI families for the first 30 days of crisis, and a national resource library of trauma-informed responses for the first hours and days after injury, specialized for families, friends, and SCI medical staff. I See That also offers a registry of medically unexpected SCI recoveries. I See That will host the inaugural conference, The Science of Trauma, Hope for Trauma Healing, October 6, 2022. To donate and find out more, visit www.iseethat.org. That's I, the letter C, T-H-A-T, dot org.